0: Hey everybody,
1: this is Rowan, two sisters with preggers Can Be Choosers, and this is our Afterbirth Fourth Trimester and More Support group, and we are live here on a Tuesday, July 23rd, hanging out. It's myself, Caitlin, and PJ, and this is a group that we do every other Tuesday at 11 o'clock, and you can sign up for reminders at preggers.rocks, www.praggers.rocks, for text reminders to grab your headphones and get on over here so we can support each other and love each other up. Today, we're going to talk about returning back to work, but instead, we were first going to hear about PJ's birth story. So grab your headphones, be wary, we're a little sweary, and also the headphones help filter out background noise. So here we are, and Caitlin, why don't you introduce yourself real quick, and then we'll go to PJ.
2: Hi, I'm Caitlin. I have a four and a half, almost five-year-old, and a almost two-year-old who's a complete nightmare and
0: terror right now. And that's me. Go PJ, go! Oh my goodness, PJ, mama four. Basically, uh, I have a baby every odd numbered year. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the pattern, but not anymore. I am fixed. That chapter is shut down. Um. Yeah. So I had little Miss Stella on. 12. There's little Stella. She's sound asleep. But anyway, uh, it was a crazy this pregnancy was awful. Like it was the hardest pregnancy that I've had yet. And uh I knew I was gonna have to be induced, like we knew that pretty early on, and then I got cholestasis again, so like we had to do it early. And after several hospitalizations and false alarms starting at like 33, 34 weeks, um, we finally set the date of induction for the day of my birthday. And I was like, really excited because I had made peace with, you know, having a baby on my birthday. And uh, we went in and uh, the first thing they told us to do was wait. And like, not 30 minutes like we showed up at four forty in the morning for a 7 a.m induction and uh we didn't get a room till 11 a.m they almost sent us back home and I was like if they send us home I am climbing on top of the nurse's station I'm getting an amnio hook and I'm breaking my own water and I'm not leaving and uh of course that was you know a little um over the top but I was not not having it like the option to go home was not an option for me so anyway they uh they took us in a room and they were supposed to start with a cook's balloon and my doctor didn't show up and so he had a resident come in to place the balloon and she placed a Foley so that thing fell out in, like, an hour, um, and got me dilated to a five, and I was, like, really frustrated, and so then my doctor comes in at, like, 6 p.m., and I'm sitting there having my birthday Starbucks, uh, which was, like, a dragon fruit that gave me highs. just FYI, so that was fantastic, um, and he was, like, you know what, why don't you order dinner and just, like, settle down for the night, and... Tomorrow morning, we'll start pit at 6 a.m., and then I'll come in before I go to clinic, and I'll break your water, and then we'll have a baby by lunch, and I was like, all right, cool, so I let my birth team know, right? I, like, let the photographer know, let my doula know, and um, (coughs) next morning, 6 a.m., they come in, hook me up to pit. And my birth team shows up at like 8.30 and we're sitting there waiting for the doctor because he said he'd be there at 8 and 8.30 passes and 9.30 passes and everybody's getting antsy and all I can do is apologize to everyone in the room, like for things that are not in my control, but I'm still, that's just who I am as a person. I felt so guilty that everyone was wasting their time. Um, And, uh, finally at 1145, a resident comes in again, uh, to break my water and to start internal monitoring. And before then I hadn't had any contractions. And if I did, like I wasn't feeling them. Um, and so she comes in, breaks my water, uh, on my birth plan. I had specifically said like the second my water's broken, I want an IUPC and a, fetal scalp electrode, uh, put in because I hate the belly bands. Plus they're just not accurate. And, uh, so she put in the internal monitoring and within uh, 30 minutes, I started having like really good contractions. Um, but we were still just like BSing and stuff with my birth team. And then, um, probably like if I had to guess, cause the rest is a blur, but maybe, like, around 2.30, everything changed. Like, there's the big shift that everyone looks for. And um, my birth pattern is to go completely internal. I don't talk to – I stop talking to everyone. I stop laughing, reacting. Like, I just um, go inward, and I don't come out of it until after I deliver. And um, I do remember, like, at one point – right before or maybe like at the beginning of transition uh, I really started missing my dad and so I like I started crying I just got really emotional and I put on a song that we played at his funeral and I just had like this really huge emotional release and right after that like I started feeling pressure and um then I don't know this is, these details are being filled in from like everybody else that was there. But, um, I started showing some of the signs and patterns that they had seen with previous babies and, um, Oh, I was 36 and six, um, when I delivered and yeah, my mother-in-law and the photographer said, Oh, she did this last time. Like she's about to deliver. She, we, we saw her do this last time. And, uh, so I like tried to get up at the top of the bed and, um, the doctor wasn't there. So they had called him like 30 minutes prior to give him a warning that I was already like getting, not pushy, but like I had a lot of pressure and, um, he still wasn't there. And so my doula was already gloved up. Cause like the big, well, it was in my birth plan. Like I said that I wanted her to help catch the baby. So she was like sitting at the edge of the bed, gloved up and like ready to go. And, um, <clears throat> I like lifted my butt up and farted as you do, you know, when you're birthing And everyone thought like, oh, that's it. And I farted and they were like false alarm. And then her head popped out. I also don't make any noise when I have babies. So there was no warning. And so my doula caught her head. And then um, she saw that there was a nuchal cord. And so the nurse, of course, like is screaming for everyone to get in the room because the doctor's not there and there's no resident available. Um, And so this flood of nurses and NICU team come running in the room, and uh, the nurse got, you know, like, took off the the cord, and then another nurse delivered her body, and that was it. She was out, and so, yeah, induction, or the water breaking was at 1145 and she was born at 313, 315, something like that. I don't know. And, um, she, uh, her Apgars were an eight, nine. So she was like hot pink when she came out. Um, and everything was seemingly fine. Uh, they gave, like put her on my chest and everything. And then they came in to do the, um, ever so fun fundal massage. And um, they noticed that there was a lot of bleeding and like we had talked about a plan to control my bleeding ahead of time because I was so severely anemic and it included like this ice bath that my doctor is known for, like where they dump buckets of ice on you after delivery. (coughs) And uh, sorry about that. Um, And Pitocin for six hours. And Cytotech, possibly. And so, anyway, um, she starts pushing. And, like, I see that she's her the look on her face is not uh, a happy one. And so, she's like, well, I'm going to come back and check you basically every 15 minutes um, for the next hour. And, like, every time she came, there was more and more blood. And so, finally, after an hour and a half, sorry, there's sort of naps or something, uh, it was determined... Um, that I had already at that point lost over 500 um, whatever it is that they measure in of blood. And by hour two, it was over 800. Um, And so it wasn't until hour two that they called it a hemorrhage. And so they popped me with some methanogen and I wasn't allowed to get out of bed or anything. Um, but I was really surprised that they didn't do any of the other measures that we had talked about. Um, And my hemoglobin dropped a point and a half from delivery to that night. Um, And the methrogen was popped in my leg. Like it was a shot. It didn't feel good. Um, Yeah. And even though my hemoglobin had dropped the point and a half, from before delivery to after delivery, they still decided to continue the next day with the tubal that they were planning on doing. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm borderline. Like, it was down to 7.1. So it was like 0.2 points away from a transfusion. Um, but, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'll just trust that they know what they're doing. And the next day came and they decided it went down again. So they decided to hold off. Oh, well, and also anesthesia was not willing to do my surgery the next day on Saturday. And so somehow my doctor talked them into Sunday. And so Saturday I got um, iron infusion. Sunday I got iron infusion. Monday I got iron infusion. Um, and the baby got discharged on Sunday. And I got discharged on Monday. And apparently that threw um, some other folks off like insurance. They didn't understand why my baby got discharged before I did. But anyway... That's the story in a nutshell. How are you feeling now? Um, I'm feeling okay. Uh, I have, like, I've always been very, very open about my struggle with postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Um, Two weeks before delivery, uh, or sorry, a week and a half before delivery, uh, I was admitted to the hospital to undergo um, a psych eval and consult. Um, And um, while I was kind of upset at the time um, because really all I wanted was for the baby to get out because to me that was gonna help end the misery that I was in, uh, which was pain. I had severe SPD this pregnancy and I just wanted her out so that I could feel better. Well, it was, um, construed as, you know, I didn't want to be here anymore. And so I had to undergo a psych stay, but it was a positive thing because they decided to up my medicine or up my milligrams, um, that I was on. And since it was so close to delivery, we also set the induction date at that point. And so mentally that helped me because I had a goal. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, the uptime medicine and also, um, I was diagnosed with PTSD, which was, um, kind of a surprise to me because even though I work, um, for a mental health practitioner, um, I still had that whole idea that PTSD was something that, you know, like soldiers and people who had undergone like severe traumas, like really, really um, just more serious stuff than what I thought I had gone through. Uh, Like, I didn't think that it was something for me, but it made a lot of sense when they started talking about it. But also during that hospital stay, um, they came to me from the social services department and also like a psych nurse. And they told me that I actually qualified for a new program that Methodist has due to a private grant where they send a nurse to your house right after you're discharged with baby and they come and like check your vitals and everything, but they also check to make sure that you're um, transitioning well back home and they check your meds. And they also do like a tele conference with um, a psych nurse at the hospital and, um, the pharmacist at the hospital to see if you need to like change your dosage of meds or new meds or like whatever. Um, and I'm not sure of the name of the program, but if I find out, I will definitely let you know, but it is, it is through Methodist and it's through their mental health department. It is not unique to just childbirth. It's for any type of hospitalization, um, under psych. And, um, it was great. Like the nurse came two days after the baby was born. Uh, I had been suffering with uh, what I thought was about of mastitis and my doctor said that it was ringworm. Um, and when she came, she took my temperature and I had a 103 degree temperature and it had a big old spot on my boob. And so um, thanks to that, she was able to like get the urgency across to somebody that I needed antibiotics um, But other than that, like we talked about my meds, we talked, they did an Edinburgh scale and, uh, it was really like, it was really helpful. It was nice to know. And they call me on the phone like every other day. And if I don't answer the phone, they'll call my husband to check on me. And after so many calls, if nobody answers, then they will, um, they're, they're a little extreme and they did let us know that they, the next call that they make us to 911 to do a welfare check on you. Yeah. So, while yeah, that's a little frustrating, at least they were honest about it. So we know like when we see that 6000 number, like we answer the phone. <clears throat> but it's just like a double check to make sure that you're doing okay, and especially since I have a history of it. Um this time the depression is like usually my depression sets in pretty quickly. Um this time it's been anxiety. Like pretty bad postpartum anxiety but uh, yes, I'm taking my smoothies. Uh, I kind of fell into the same thing that I did last time where like I looked at the tray and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to ration myself with these smoothies because they like, I kind of cling to them and I don't want them to go away. Like I get anxiety about them ending, but I then have to bring myself back to reality and realize that like the quicker I get them in the more that they'll help they don't help by just sitting in the tray in my freezer
1: I want to just interject here that she's talking about placenta um, chunks that are frozen in your freezer right is that what you're talking about correct yeah Mm -hmm. I did
0: all smoothies this time again yeah
1: cool cool and you want to talk more about um, how your anxiety is manifesting and what you're doing to manage it as it's going down
0: Yeah. So, um, my anxiety right now is, is, um, our surrounding baby sleep. Um, I, because she's a preemie, um, and because I had a really scary experience with our last baby who was born at 35 weeks, uh, we brought her home and like on day three, uh, she was choking on some milk that she had spit up and I turned her, like I was, Messing in her drawers or something. And I turned around and her lips were blue. And um, for like a month after that, I would only sleep if she was on my chest. And so uh, with this baby, like, she's been fine. Like, I've rationally had no reason to really suspect that, like, anything like that's going to happen. But because she's premature, um, I won't sleep unless she is... With my husband or with me, but then even with me, I worry that I'm going to like smother her while she's eating or she'll roll off the bed and like hit her head or something. And so, um, and then also in the car, like I worry because I can't see her when I'm in the front seat and I don't have the option to get in the back seat because we have four kids and we have four seats in the back. So that's not an option. And so like going anywhere is a real challenge for me because I'm constantly bugging my five-year-old to check on his sister and give me a report. Like, is she breathing? Is she sleeping? Like, what is she doing? And I'm sure it's really annoying, but he's gracious and he's, you know, but anyway, um, the way that I'm trying to manage it is, uh, every night my husband takes the baby for about three hours while he plays video games. It's just his way of de-stressing because as most of you know, he's a stay-at-home dad, and, like, he is truly my my rock um, through all of this, and so around 9 o'clock, when the kids, like, the older kids go to bed, and I go to bed, he'll take her on the couch, and he plays until about midnight, 1 o'clock, and it gives me a good 3-4 hours of solid sleep where I'm not worried about the baby, and then for the rest of the night, I kind of have been able to manage a little bit better. And um, the last three nights, he has actually swaddled her really well and put her in the docketot in the crib. And um, she's been sleeping really soundly. And so I've, I'm getting used to, like, I'm getting, okay, getting to the okay point where I've seen her sleep soundly there. And I'm feeling more comfortable about her getting at least a two and a half to three hour stretch in her crib. And so that only leaves her with me like two feedings. So it's helping slowly. And I'm just going to
1: do a quick PSA here that, um, not sleeping is the number one way to throw yourself into postpartum psychosis. Um, because the body really can't function, um, you know, the optimum, like any less than five hours, like it like (coughs) might set in and stuff. So it's really important to figure out how you can get that. And there's also research that says the earlier you go to bed, that sleep you get before midnight is more valuable and um, more intensely rewarding to the body than, than any type of sleep after that. So that's a good strategy, how you're doing that. I just want to give you snaps for that. Thank you. Um, but I did want, you know, and then here's the thing with postpartum psychosis is that a lot of times it's super mass because the person, like when you're depressed or anxious, a lot of times, you know, something's up, right? With postpartum psychosis, you don't, you think that your thoughts about how your husband should divorce you and then you could be the nanny and he has a new wife is completely rational. Like, so you don't talk about it much or when you do, you just kind of say it quietly off to the side because it seems like normal to you that this is like a good thought process. So when people do something, like we think about, and I'm not saying that this is happening with you, I'm just taking this opportunity to educate. Like with Andrea Yates, um, you know, harming all her children, that seemed perfectly logical and reasonable that she had to do that to her because she was having postpartum psychosis. So um, I just want to throw that out there, that anxiety and depression and some of the other behaviors that you might see um, postpartum that are easily visible, um, that's easy to pick up on. Most of the time, but for somebody who's having psychosis, which is, you know, there's either a predisposition or the, you know, the sleep factor is a big one. Then you don't see that. They seem perfectly normal because it seems rational to them. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Hey, y'all, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get right back to it. Getting back to our real talk after birth style. Um, Tiff, um, Peach had her baby, so we're just doing her birth story. And, uh, anything you want to ask or Caitlin, anything you want to ask PJ before we move on to something else or PJ, anything else you want to share?
2: I was just wondering if you have used anything like the outlet monitor and if that helps, if it doesn't help, if it would give you more anxiety, less anxiety in this type of situation.
0: I thought about it. It's just the cost factor right now, um, with me not working, um, cause you know, small company. So you know, it's not like I have, uh, whatchamacallit maternity leave benefits. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely something that I thought about and it was like, it looks awesome. And I know people that have used it and it would probably help. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things. hate
2: that that's a factor that the cost is the factor and that yeah you know, like I know. That it because it, it you know anyway hashtag fundraising effort for an outlet just because if it would give you any peace of mind in, in the car in the you know so that you could get your sleep so that it's I think that would be really important
0: so maybe you can find a way to make this happen yeah that would be awesome because I think it's Like, I mean, especially the car, I didn't think the car was going to be the bigger factor. I mean, the sleep, I think now that we've kind of cracked the, getting the good three, four hour stretch before midnight, like Rowan said, um, it it has helped. Like I've noticed that, but the car is just like, I am not a person who likes to stay home, but the thought of going somewhere right now is terrifying because I can't see her.
1: Can you
2: ask
0: the program if that
2: would be something that they could help fund that you can get from the hospital or something? Is I might. That a possible um, option?
0: Yeah, I can definitely call the social worker and ask her. Like, I've got um, her information in a folder somewhere. I need to locate that folder. Because I figure if the hospital will rent breast pumps, maybe they'll
2: re- do something like that with this program that might help long-term
0: Yeah, in this and I think respect. I think it's also the heat. You know, that's like my other big thing is like, it's so hot and the van doesn't really have, like, it doesn't have the vents on the top. And I worry Mm -hmm. about that. And then my mom does not help my anxiety at all, which I know that's something that can be controlled. And yesterday she was like, I saw a news story about a baby that died in the car. So don't forget your baby. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't need that. (laughs) But yeah, good idea. Thank you. I will ask.
1: Tiff, you have anything you want to share or ask or check in with?
3: There we go. Um, Congratulations on your baby. Um, uh, Right now we're on our way down to Maryland to look at some places to live. So I'm in the car. I might be breaking out a little bit um, or have to leave abruptly and that's probably the reason but um yeah so we're going to look at places i think like two or three today and then uh we're still traveling and we'll be in scranton for four days um, at a music festival and water park with the girls so it's it's a flurry of activity until school starts
1: (laughs) how are you doing emotionally with all this
3: Um, pretty good everybody's kind of just been you know excited to do all the fun summer things and um, I think what I'm mostly concerned about is just finding a place to live that's within budget and has a good school because Lily's gonna be starting kindergarten Um, and Barry flies back to Houston on the 31st to load up a moving van and drive it all back to Pennsylvania. (laughs) Um, So we are kind of on the lookout for a driving buddy, somebody that has the time and the capacity to be his friend in the van so that he can also get some rest and help drive because for right now it's just him might take an extra couple days or what have you but um i'd rather somebody else with him and um it can't be me so we're kind of just putting our feelers out there today and uh seeing who can help
1: Wait a minute. I saw a show on this where you can like transport people, not just stuff, you know, and like people who wanted to ride share or whatever. So I wonder, I forget what it was. Dr. B would know. Um, So maybe ask her on social media. But there used to be this show that I remember watching with her and like somebody needed a ride from one place to another. And that's how they like earned some gas money was like, you know, so if somebody need a ride from Houston to like halfway there or something, that's something. I don't know. We're just creatively thinking, and even, like, I remember I've been on road trips before with, like, the most irritating people in the whole entire world, and I would just have them sit in the front seat and, like, just irritate the snot out of me the whole way there, and I stayed awake, and we made great time, let me tell you, so, (laughs) just a thought. It might be less keeping him company, but also earning some gas cash, who knows, so. Yes, I
3: forgot about that look on, like, Craigslist rideshare, like, rideshare boards,
1: yeah, okay. and well, but yeah. I thought there was a special app for it too. Dr. Blythe would remember, I don't remember it. She tracks
3: okay. us
1: up. But you know, like let's think outside the box here, right? Okay, all right, just saying.
3: Yeah. All right, okay. Um, and we're doing pretty well with like Rascal's Memorial. We have a little um, table set up near our beds and it, it hasn't been affecting Lily as much. And I think it's because she's in a familiar place and we're pretty busy. So she hasn't been too sad about it. But I think that also having that little space with a memorial with his picture and his dish and all that has also been helpful. Got it. Doing good.
1: Cool. Well, let's focus on PJ for another hot minute here. And like, what are things that you guys did Because Tiff, I know that you've struggled in and out with PPD, um, and Caitlin, I don't think quite as much you, but also at the same time, I could be wrong. So what are things that you guys have done or with perinatal anxiety or postpartum anxiety, anything that you could share that might support PJ in this moment?
2: I actually had anxiety about the car um, also when Skylar was little, cause rear facing, um, it's just hard. Um, and so I didn't with Skyler cause I was like forcing myself. I was not, um, recognizing it, but with Atlas, with my second baby, I just bought us one of those little mirrors that like attaches to the headrest, And so that I can just look at him through the rear view mirror, you know, that I can find a way to look at him and see him. And that has helped a lot. Um, You know, it's like a $12 mirror. But something so simple like that was actually helpful. Um, Yeah, and then, I don't know, there's... um, Because I struggled with postpartum depression more, but I think it was also coupled by all of the other shitstorm things that happened in my life at the same time. So, I, it's hard for me to discern what was what, and like, because it just was all together. So, it's hard to say what belonged specifically because of postpartum and the baby versus was this coming from some other part of my life. Um, and I didn't struggle as much with Atlas as I did with Skylar. So, yeah, I don't have very much to offer you, but I'm really proud of you for accepting help, whether it's asked for or
0: thrust upon you. So, Good job. Thank you, Rowan, for saying that. (laughs) Because I told my husband, I was like, I don't really want to jump on, but it's because I don't want to that I need to.
1: So for those of you who are listening to this later as a podcast, we have a chat box on the side. Um, We can see each other live face to face, which is good. Um, That's part of the Zoom platform is we can see each other's face, but I save the audio and use it for the podcast. And so we have a chat box off to the side. And so occasionally if somebody's telling a story, I'll prompt something. So one of the things I just prompted PJ was that I'm very grateful and proud for her showing up today. So that's um, in itself just showing up. And even if you don't know us and you want to join us live, like we want to know you. So we encourage you always to if you had, just had a baby, share your birth story and then um, let's talk about it. So, all right, so Tiff, what do you got? Any hot tips or not hot tips for Peach?
3: Um, Also just a shout out for showing up because when I was having a hard time, same kind of situation where it was like, I knew that it was happening kind of didn't want to but then i did and i felt so much better and um it really did help me you know and i feel like it would help me that day but then it would last for a couple of days because i knew that there were other people out there supporting me other people who cared about me and wanted to help and um the other thing with what DJ was saying about her mom like relaying the story about an article. I don't know the best way to let people know that there's helpful help and then there's not helpful help. And that would be the not helpful help. I don't know <laughs> what how how to let people know that, or you know, even just reading. Or hearing stories on the radio or whatever, whatever it is to stay away from the not helpful help. Because that can send you down a spiral that is completely unnecessary. Um, yeah, keep it to maybe, yourself.
1: Maybe that's part of like training people how you want to be treated. And I know like, you know, Peach. I know your mom's um, a little bit older, but Like at some point, like having that boundary of like, what did you think? How did you think this was going to help me? Well, I just wanted you to remember that I'm like, listen, lady, I have you know, perinatal anxiety. Of course, I remember. I obsess about it. I got this extra twelve dollar mirror that I have here just so I can look at my baby's face. You know, like, like I've got it, and that is not helping me. And I don't really care if your mom thinks um, that you're a bitch because I don't really care about your mom. I care about you, PJ. So like. I can, you know, I have friends, so <laughs> I always say that. So anyway, setting those boundaries and that
0: type of thing is important. Okay. What you- oh, I was going to say, like, I, tr- I tried, I think I shared with you at, like, one of our sessions that um, she had been telling me, like, since the day I found out that I was pregnant with this baby, which was, first of all, a huge surprise to us. Like you know, we weren't supposed to be able to get pregnant. Um, the entire pregnancy, she spent telling me, "Well, I sure do hope that this baby isn't like my fourth baby because my fourth baby died at childbirth. I sure hope that this baby doesn't die when you have her and blah. blah. I mean, just like things like that, the entire time. Or she saw a story about." Um, a family that came from Mexico because their newborn had meningitis. Well, I sure hope your baby doesn't get meningitis and die. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So the anxiety of that, the entire pregnancy, like, and then the cholestasis on top of it. And I had been to the ER like three weeks ago or a month ago now. And the doctor on call there was like, well, cholestasis, like, you know, stillbirth at 37 weeks. And I was just like, oh, like, oh my gosh! And then when my doctor said we're gonna induce at thirty six and six, I'm like, I have one day to have this baby, right? I know better. I know these things. Rational PJ knows this, but. Uh, pre-
1: And I think this is something to talk about, you know, like, there's a rational, rational PJ versus pregnant PJ, you know, like, we have that in our head, like, rationally, uh, uh, right, and then, but anxiety, and that's how we know, like, it's, you know, it's a, it's a disorder, it's a mental health challenge, it's a, like, it's not a healthy thought process, so that's how we can tell, like, okay, something's up, all right, okay. Okay. So, um, and your mom will probably consider, keep telling you stuff like that. So you either have to kill her or we have to, um, learn a way to like set strong boundaries. So if she doesn't tell you that stuff or mitigate it internally so that when she tells you stuff, you're like, okay, mom, whatever, and keep rolling. So Do you, right. does she
2: say this to you in person over the phone in text messages? Like what's her form of main form of communication
0: over the phone? Cause I don't, I try to stay away from, a lot of in-person, um, meetings just because I don't feel comfortable in her space and she's paralyzed from the waist down. So she's home. So whenever we want to see her, we go to her house, but you know, since that was her and my dad's house, like I just, I still have a really hard time, um, going there. And so, and I've even thought about like, can, like giving back bad news to her and then I'm like no because I mean like Rowan said like try to treat other people like you want to be treated and so I try to take the high road and she just got a diagnosis of something that like can turn into leukemia and instead of trying to tell her all the scary things about the new diagnosis like I tried to give her positives about the diagnosis but it still doesn't sink in right?
2: I'm just wondering if there's a way you can say, if on this phone call you say more than two things that are unhelpful or one thing, I'm just going to hang up. So as like a cue to you that this is not helpful and that I'm setting this boundary on our phone calls because I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. And if you're not going to be helpful, then I have to let you go for, for right now. It's not anything other than me taking care of me and giving her just, yeah, that, that, um, that warning of this is what it is. It's not, it's still positive, but it's not, it's a warning to her that, Hey, you're not being a helpful mom to me right now. And that's what I need from you. And what I need from you right now is to stop
0: and I will cut you off if I have to. I need to learn how to be that upfront with her. And right now I'm, I'm very much a, um, I think it's because I'm still, like, just afraid of her. But if it really, really bothers me, like, she tried to invite herself to my birth, which was a, a huge no. She's – no. Like, that's – yeah. So I told my sisters, and my sisters told her, because my sisters, they're 60. They, do, they don't give two shits about telling her, like, hey, buzz off. Like, you're not going. Um, so now, like, my – quote unquote healthy boundary is to just not answer the phone. If I don't feel like I'm in a good emotional or, you know, good headspace, then I just ignore the call. And I don't talk to her until I at least have the mental fortitude to potentially hear something that may or may not upset me. But I just, maybe it is because I haven't set that boundary. And my oldest sister has told me like, you just have to be firm with her, but with, with them, it seems to work, but with me, she starts crying, and I get this huge guilt trip. You never spoke to your dad like this, and I just want to be your best friend like your dad was, and yeah, it's, it's hard.
2: As someone with a parent who I have officially cut out of my life forever, um, I just had to keep pushing the boundary. So I'm really glad you have some boundary in place, but it's okay to reevaluate if you want to move the boundary and just little steps is okay. So just keep reevaluating and deciding if this is where you want to keep your boundary or keep pushing it, push it a little bit further, you know, hanging up on someone's never a great feeling, but if it, then you can also say, I'm not going to answer the next phone call. And then you won't hear the crying about it or the, you know, you might have some guilt, but it, you won't be hearing the other end of, you'll know she's crying, but not hearing it can trigger the point that, okay, now I can, like, focus on what I need to focus on. Anyway, just keep keep looking at your boundary and deciding if you want to change it.
1: Yep, all the snaps to Caitlin on that one. And really, Paige, it's up to you to teach people how you want to be treated, so... We want that for you. We want you to have a good postpartum. Let's end on a high note here, this kid, this last kid. Um, Tiffany, you didn't hear this part, but uh, Peach got her tubes tied. Number four is the last one here, so, yeah. All right, my loves, we're at 1146. We never got to talking about going back to work, so I guess that'll be what we're talking about next week or in two weeks. And... um And this is a good crew to talk about it. So I hope everybody comes in two weeks. Um, What else did I want to say? Oh, um, last week I did a choosers recording on folks with miscarriages. So um, a woman locally was really under supported with miscarriage work. So um, I started taking a class with her. Like we both signed up for this class together. She was a local doula. And so then I also interviewed her about miscarriage. So that's available. And that's both as a podcast here on Anchor and then also at um it's on the YouTube channel, which is just Preggers can be choosers. Can C A N be choosers. So that's been getting a lot of um action. And then check this out. My assistant Mary, her husband is like a Star Wars fanatic, and I like hate Star Wars and Star Trek and NASA and anything about any of that, except for the movie Contact, because it had Jodie Foster who's also gay. So uh <laughs> i just um and there's some other movie that had matthew mcconaughey in it that also was about space and astrophysics but other than that i i I didn't catch what you were saying caitlin so um anyway so that's the show so uh God, no! I'm all distracted because we're all laughing as we look at each other. This is a problem when you can see each other. We're all laughing. Oh, Interstellar. Yeah, that was good. Uh Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, that's the only kind of space movies I watch. So when I went to the McDonald Observatory and got a new Saturn, my new favorite planet, got a tattoo at Meetup and Marfa. Oh, my gosh, Tiffany. Okay, let me tell this real quick if Lenny Kravitz was in Star Wars, I would 100% watch it, because I love Lenny Kravitz, PJ knows this, but Tiffany and I met, because we're both hoopers, and we do this event called Hottie Hoop Camp together, and this year, we met up in Marfa, and so, somehow, we decided we were go to the Star Party, which is at the McDonald Observatory, right, and so, like, my girls, we get blinged, so, like, people have, you know, galaxies painted on their face, and, like, um, Amy from Canada had a rainbow tutu, like, it was, like, over the top, everybody looked fabulous, there were stars, there was glitter, there was extra, like, somebody had a doingle thing with, like, planets up here on their headband, it was fabulous, everybody looked great, and there was 12 of us, right, I think that looked the least, like, fabulous out of everybody, so we go, and then it's pitch dark out there, and, and they, at one point, say, um, you know, the show was kind of over, and people were going to look in, um, these telescopes, which I did not care, there were two cars of us, and the car I was in like, did not care about the telescopes. We were just like um, laying on our backs in this like, kind of amphitheater, looking up at the stars and stuff. So my friends, who know I hate space, egg me on to go ask this guy if there's um, like the guy who like gave the tour, the planetarium tour, except it was outside. He goes, uh, with a pointer, it was very crazy. Um, and I was asking if there were signs of life life on other planets this is not a ludicrous question okay so I'm asking this question and he had a couple of premises wrong one he starts telling me that he hasn't seen life come to this planet and I was like that wasn't my question dude my question is have you you know with all these telescopes have you seen anything and so then he said something about oxygen that oxygen oxidizes or um like it forms with other elements and, and gets burned through pretty quickly so if there were planets with um that could hold Life, we would see like replenishing um, oxygen and high levels of oxygen that got replenished, and I was like, "Oh, that's pretty good," um, but I and I was started to say, "There's a flaw in your premise here that you're thinking that all life uses oxygen. We don't know what pl- life on other planets uses, right?" That's pretty linear thinking. But why, when I'm fixing to say this, I hear my friends go, "Fuck off!" and like start yelling, and I'm like, "What is happening?" Because there weren't that many people there. Like you know, there were like 500 people to start with. There's probably like 30 people remaining, 12 of which are my friends. Well, maybe like eight because those other four were off being nerds looking at like stuff in the whatever, like Sean and um, Kelsey, Julie, and somebody else was looking through the microscope. So the rest of us, we did not care about this. And so, um, oh, Nicole, Garrett. Okay. So they're all looking. Okay. So then like what happened was some people were like did you see those people i took so i took some pictures especially that one bitch wearing the um, rainbow tutu or whatever so guess what that was my friend amy from canada so I have this one friend named Nicole who's kind of small and she goes, um, we call her Glitter. So Glitter was like, we can hear you because it was so dark. They didn't know that we were like there and they talking about us and they're like, oh, oh, sorry. And Nicole's like, you're not sorry, but you are sorry. And was like totally like yelling at him and then right about that time, um, Amy started yelling fuck off and all this stuff. So then it's like this barrage and I was like, okay, well, that's enough talking about planets on other, you know, life on other planets because I'm over here and going down and so then this guy's still talking to me the guy who worked there he's like oh you and your friends really like to get attention or something and I was like you know what dude this is called a star party not star wear your free NPR t-shirt and tan you know um, cargo shorts and chacos party all right and so like a lot of the people were like oh you guys look great and some people were like you know, but, like, whatever, they were all wearing, like, tan, it was so boring, so the star party, we looked great, and, important, you know, and there was, like, this dust up, and so then the next day, we go to an um, um, uh, art exhibit outside of Valentine, Texas, which is um, Prada Marfa, and so we pull up, and some people are like, oh, hey, we saw you yesterday at the star party, and we're like, yeah, you did, because <laughs> it's a star party, okay, so, anyway, I don't even know how I got started on this, but, um, That's me and my friends. This is my new favorite planet, Saturn, because a bunch of dude bros were like, dude, Saturn's my new favorite planet. I didn't even hear that Sean told me. So uh, my sister and I got stick and pokes, because we all got stick and pokes at um, Howdy Hoop Camp this year. So that was fun. So anyway, that's about that. Oh, I know what I started all this to say, that my YouTube channel is doing fine, but Mary started a YouTube channel about Star Wars, and it has more views than, like, almost anything I've ever done put together. Star Wars is nuts. And her husband is very, um, like, he has almost encyclopedic knowledge of Star Wars, so he's starting a channel on, if you have a Star Wars question you ever wanted to ask, you can ask John. Or if you want to fight him about Star Wars knowledge, you can ask John. John does not care. But Mary's in there, and she's looking really cute, so she's my... uh, assistant and uh, buddy and I just wanted to share that. So all that to say I guess in two weeks we will be uh, talking about going back to work um, unless there's something else or somebody else has a baby and we want to talk about it and I think that's it for right now. Anything else that maybe wants to say before we unmute ourselves or just unmute yourself and say whatever you want to say and then we'll say that we love each other? Alright. Anybody want to say anything? Am I hosting next time, too, still? August 2nd? I think so. I don't remember why, but I think you are. Okay. Yeah, so we'll work that out. So, Caitlin will be your host. Talking about going back to work, that's a good one, because that was one of the things you want to talk about. That's
0: right.
1: Okay, sounds good. good. Alright, love everybody right. tremendously. Love you guys. Love, love you. you. In it together. Good to see you. Alrighty, my loves. That's a wrap. We'll see you in two weeks. Don't forget to grab those headphones. If you need a text reminder, you can go to preggers.rocks, www.preggers.rocks or www.preggerscanbechoosers.com. And there's a text reminder that you can sign up for. We're also on Facebook at Preggers can Be Choosers. There's an event um, invitation that you can sign up for there. And we also have a group dedicated on Facebook dedicated to our podcast listeners. That's the podcast afterbirth group. So we'll hope to connect with you soon. And don't forget, we're launching our prenatal education podcast pretty soon. So we want you to jump in on that as well. Thank you so much and hope you have a great two weeks.
0: Oh, thank
2: you.